What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Cut from the Vision Lab Podcast. Man, certainly excited about today. I'm with my main man, Mo, and we're going behind the dollar, y'all. Another great episode. Yo, Mo, who do we have on the show today? Cuff, today's guest is a native of Erie, Pennsylvania. He is a nine-year veteran of the banking industry. He is the Vice President of Commercial Lending at First United Bank in McKinney. Please welcome Matthew Heinrich to Behind the Dollar. Hello, sir. What up? Want to give a want to give a special shout out to James Aquila, right? Uh, obviously, the Behind the Dollar is sponsored by Aquila uh, Financial and Tax Services, and so knocking on the door to uh, to tax season, y'all. So uh, it's, the end is getting closer and closer. So if you need help with your taxes, holler at James. Absolutely. So I want to get right into it. Um, You've got nine plus years worth of experience in banking. We wanted to kind of come from the perspective of, hey, here's what the banks are looking for from consumers or, or its customers, right? Because I think a lot of people don't don't know. Um, I guess the first place I want to start is how do banks work? How do banks work? Thinking about from the consumer side, you know, you're looking at we make money off of deposits, you know, so you're looking at the masses are bringing in deposits. So that's going to be where banks make their money. And then again, lending products are kind of falling in behind. Now, with the lending products, obviously, that's where they people think, hey, a 6%, bank's making 6%. A bank's making 1% to 2% off of 6% loans. So when people think of that in a real estate market, commercial market, consumer market, they're going, oh, my gosh, here's where I'm at. Or, oh, my gosh, here's where I'm at. When you got behind the scenes of everything, it breaks down to probably 1% to 2% on that 6 but deposits are actually the big component of it. Not only does it hit households, you know, it's definitely going to hold you. You're going to be secure because you got the FDIC insurance behind it. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, but then in addition, the expansion of off of those individual relationships is where a bank is going to capture their audience. So bringing in, yes, we have deposits, but as you grow with your bank, with your banker, you're going to have your online platform. You're going to have your credit card. You're going to have potentially a personal loan. Then your, you know, house loan because you're keeping those within there. So banks like that what we call sticky products sure. is getting you with a checking account because that's where we start holding you and having that relationship. And once you build that relationship, the expansion into those other things is where we can not only serve you best, mm-hmm. but at the same time, bank in turn makes the most money off of the loyal clients. I, you mentioned, you know, relationships, right? And, and it's so different from, you know, the 50s and 40s where you knew your banker, right? Like everybody knew their banker. Yeah. I, I think nowadays people have such a, a hesitancy in putting their money in banks, right? Um, how do we build back that trust with, in, in, in the notion of having a banker as someone that should be a part of your council? Can't emphasize enough how you said 40s, 50s. It's just as important now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of my some of my personal clients that I bank on the lending side aren't my million dollar clients. Some of my favorite ones are the ones that call me up and be like, "Hey, I need a truck loan." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Hey, well, let's work through it. I already know your financials. I already know your background. I already have your tax returns. I already have this from the past. We know how to make it work, and let's help you get in there." Um, we also know everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. Yep. Everybody has a stumble. Everybody has a fall. It's real life. It, yeah. And if, you're, and if you're a number in the, in the machine where all it is is an insufficient fund pops up, mm-hmm. well, who's going to waive that for you because you don't have a relationship? But knowing that person, that's where it's going, hey, we know that it's a mistake. It happens. 
Um, so th- those are big things that people don't really realize that that is just as much how we as bankers, whether you're commercial side, consumer side, what you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife just left the banking world and gets personal phone calls trying to help her with her accounts because they're like, we need help still. And she's like, I don't have access to anything anymore, you know, because but you know people, but you know people I can call this person, call that person. But you know, building those long-term relationships is, it, it's so vital. Um, not just from, Hey, I can help you with an NSF. It's also, what's that next step? And we as bankers, we're connected with everything else in banking. We're connected to the tax guy. Yeah. You know, you need help with this. Let me connect you with the tax guy who can help you with something that's not my specialty. Yeah. You know, might know some basics around it, but I don't know it. So let me help you with that. And let me give you somebody who I trust and know. Um, you know, same thing, even if it comes down to a different part in the bank. I don't do mortgage loans. I do every other loan, but I don't do mortgage loans. But my buddy, Kelly, he does all the mortgage loans. So if I can't help that individual... You, you know, in the right direction. Hey, Kelly, here you go, and, and passing them off. But having that individual relationship gets you those connections of making sure you're taken care of. So that concept of is a lot of time is not what you know, it's who you know. Would you say it plays a major role? You know, plays a, It goes a long way. It, I, I, think, I think the Rolodex is massive, yeah. you know, a massive important part of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, having relationships like yourself in the world where I know that I can send somebody to you and yeah. they're going to be taken care of. Yeah. You're going to treat them right. You know, you're going to service them well. Yeah. You're going to follow up with them. I mean, having those those contacts in your Rolodex are an important part. Uh-huh. And your execution on that knows that I'm going to send you more people. Mm-hmm. And you taking care of my people, they trust me just as much yep. because they've now been taken care of in another side of the finance world that they know that I'm not the expert, but I gave them a great referral and you're exactly. able to take care of them. Exactly. Man, that's good. So we're in this in this this part of humanity now where, you know, the pandemic shut everybody down for basically a year and a lot of people popped up and said, hey, I want to run my own business, right? From a banker standpoint, or, you know, you, the individual banker and the bank as an overall entity, when someone comes in and says, hey, I want to have a business loan, whether it be commercial, whatever, right? What is, what is it that you guys as a bank are looking for from somebody who says, I need a loan? Every bank's going to have different parameters. Small banks are looking at, you know, collateralized banking, Okay, big banks have a little more uh, luxury with unsecured lending. However, they're looking at a lot more tenure, where I can look at something in a smaller bank with, you know, six months to a year under your belt. A big bank usually won't even look at you until you have two full years under your belt. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, your, your credit unions, your community banks, those are the ones that you can really leverage from a, hey, I'm, I'm in this starting phase, I'm in a transition phase, how can you help? Now, that being said, it's not necessarily an unsecured, so we got to figure out how to get creative with that, but that's also the fun part about my job is I, it's a puzzle. Every person that walks in my door is a puzzle, and it's a matter of how do we help that person, and if we can't, what are the steps they need to do so I can help them yeah. in six months from now? So you talked about credit unions, working with smaller banks, community banks. Um, you've got a lot of brick and mortars, right, that, that are out there, but you've got a huge wave of, of these online banking, you know, companies that are, I don't want to even say popping up because they've been around for probably a decade, decade and a half, but like the value that you're talking about of having a relationship, is that kind of undercut when you've got other banks out there like your ally? If you're, if you're the person that's only looking for the bottom dollar, the lowest interest rate, you're going to find it online. You know, because if you're going to find it online, you're going to find that lowest interest rate of something that'll do. 
Um, I will say a lot of those online platforms, though, they're advertising their teaser rates mm-hmm. that 2% of their population actually qualify for. That's a good yeah. word, teaser rates. Teaser rates. So they throw, out the te- they throw out the teaser, get you to call, get you to call in, get you to give their contact information, then they bombard you with teaser, 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 and then you get in there and you're like, oh, well, I have good credit, but I don't have an 820. Right. You know, it's like, well, not a lot of people do have an 820, so that's a, that top 5%. So all right, here's the real one. And then it comes back right down to what you would get in a normal bank with a normal banking relationship. The, the problem with that is the first thing that I said, there's no relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you get that, you get that, you know, even if you do qualify for that teaser rate, you're on the books there, but you don't know anybody. Right. You, don't, you don't have that relationship. If something else comes up, they don't have the Rolodex to refer you to somebody else. Yeah. So having those relationships, even in the bigger banks, because I know I came from a bigger bank and I still treated my clients the same way. I wanted them to come to me you know, even though it was a bigger bank, wasn't the community bank, wasn't the credit union, they still know they could come to me to give them the best advice for whatever avenue they're looking at. Are, are the community banks, credit unions, the smaller banks of the world, are they used less frequently than your big banks? Say from a volume standpoint, like size and size, I would say it's probably pretty level playing field. Um, obviously, big banks have the volume. I mean, everybody knows a chase. There's 14 on every corner, mm-hmm. you know. So you have that out there. If it's a matter of I need multiple locations, you know, a chase, a Bank of America, they're, they're, they're great places to be when you want something and you need to constantly go in a building. How many people need to go into a building? Right. <laughs> How often do you walk into the building? Especially um, in the last year, year or so. Especially right. during the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that being said... I've even had somewhere I'd say, hey, keep your, keep your big bank checking account, but do the rest of your banking with me. I'll take care of you over here, but you can walk into one every, on every corner that you need. If you're in every city in, you know, in the country, if you need to go into a big bank, you still have one that's usually in a close distance, but I'll keep you and take care of you on this side over here because that's when you can call me up and go, I need a little bit of help. I, you know, what do I do? You just mentioned something. Like you said, you, sometimes you tell people, hey, keep your giant, you know, your, your big bank here, but I'll, I'll work with you here. Should the average person do it that way, or should you, or would you, would your advice to the everyday, you know, nine to five workers say, like, what would your be advice? Like, hey, go with your BBVA, your, you know, name your franchise, or hey, go credit union, small mom and pop banks. Like, what, what's your, your viewpoint on that? I think it's finding the right fit. Number one, um, you know, in working for a big bank, working for a community bank, um, I definitely do know the difference and feel the difference. Um, I definitely think it's an individual component. Um, I, I had, a, I don't know, I'll say a very unique. Um, you guys know who Dave Ramsey is? Absolutely. Okay. So with debt snowball, with fraud that's out there, mm-hmm. you know, I used to sit down, especially with my, my younger clients, you know, as they're opening up their first or second checking account, they just got married, how we combine in accounts. I, I'm very much a, you put your direct deposit into a savings account. Most people put it in their checking. I mean, that is a very normal practice is they set up at their workplace, their direct deposit goes into their checking account. Right. That checking account is now attached to your online banking. It's attached to your debit card. It's attached to your bill pay. You may or may not have given that checking account to 15 different bill pays with the routing number account number where they're just debiting out some money. Mm-hmm. And so now you have seven, eight different hands with your checking information. Mm-hmm. Somebody steals your debit card. They have direct access to your direct deposit. To everything. To everything. Yeah. So that's where your money goes. They figure out when your payday is. They're going to yank it out as soon as it comes. So you put your direct, you put your direct deposit into a savings account. Who has that? 
Nobody. Yeah. Pretty much nobody but you. Mm-hmm. Nobody but you and anybody else in that account. Husband, and, wife. And hopefully your banker. And hopefully your banker. If your banker knows that. But that direct deposit goes into a savings account. And then I also look at that and saying, you now have two checking accounts underneath that. You have a checking account for your bills. You, that should be reoccurring bills. You know pretty darn close yeah. what that number should be every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your electric bill is going to fluctuate. Your water bill is going to fluctuate. Those are going to fluctuate a little bit, but you round up, you put enough in there. That should be your first move every paycheck, mm-hmm. moving it into your bills account so nothing ever gets unpaid. Mm-hmm. Number one thing with credit, 30, 35 to 37% of your credit score is just paying on time. It's just paying on time. Yeah. You stop paying on time, that's 30% negative to your credit score. Mm. So putting that checking account in there for your bills, it does nothing but pay your bills. I'm also very much a Dave Ramsey person of you tell your money where to go. Mm-hmm. You don't let somebody reach their hand in and pull it out and pay your bill every month. I believe in that. Like, I, you know, I'm all about <laughs> online bill pay, but even now, like when I pay my bills at the first time, I don't have anything set up on auto draft. I make all my payments either. Like I will sit down in front of my laptop and crank it out. Sometimes I'll call a bill in and pay it over the phone, but I don't believe in having somebody just access, hey, X, day X, Y, Z of the month, you reach in without me thinking about it. No, absolutely I, and I'm, not. And I'm, I'm old school like that as well. Absolutely but, not. You know, you're talking about, you know, auto pay and things like that and all these different hands that are coming and, you know, grabbing out of your pot. Have you, are you familiar with uh, Ramit Sadie? And he wrote this book called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He's really big on automated uh, banking, right? Okay. Take it, let's just take 100 bucks, right? And you know that 30%, so we'll call it $30, comes out and goes towards your bills, right? Well, obviously, um, you look at Robert Kiyosaki that talks about paying yourself first, right? Which I totally believe in. You pay everybody else, you better pay yourself first. Right. Otherwise, you won't, you won't get anything. Um, let's just say 10% for that, right? And me, as a, as a man of faith, I put 10% for tithing, which would be your giving. Obviously, Kiyosaki and Ramsey talk a lot about that as well. Mm-hmm. But so right now, we're already at 50%. So Sadie talks about, and Ramit Sadie is his name, S-E-T-H-I, I believe is how you spell it. Everything is automated. So you're against that. You actually want to say, hey, look, I'm going to pay this on the 1st, 15th, 30th, whatever it is per month. When you name your dollars, it means more. When, when, when you're naming it and going, I'm writing this check to electric, here's every dollar and cent that I'm writing, it means more than just going, oh, it just got taken out of my account. Right. And I might see it the day it happens, and I might see it next week, and I may forget about it or may not. It also gives you the, the, the opportunity of figuring out, well, is that going up, and how much does it go up in the summer? Mm-hmm. You know, when doesn't it? So you're tracking it, yeah. and then at the same time, that's when you start getting on your kids for turning the lights on and leaving the lights on too. <laughs> You know, because everyone's every, yeah. everybody's looked at their account and was like, "Man, when it, why did that come out?" You had to replay in your head. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm with you. I don't believe in any of that auto payment stuff. Don't what about me. what about credit card payments and putting everything on your credit card and then making one lump sum payment at the end of the month to get the points, the travel reward um, points as well, things like that. Here's where I'm a little different than Dave Ramsey. Um, I think that number one depends on who it is. If uh, you know, I talked to. I literally talked to a client this past week. He's like, if I have a credit line, I will max it out. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I we're not going to give you open-ended credit lines. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know yourself. <laughs> we can it. give you term loans. <laughs> Thank you for telling me. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> know not to get you in trouble. Um, we give you term loans. But it really comes to the individual. You know, if, if they know, if they have the self-recognition that they know themselves and they don't have the discipline, cut up your credit cards, throw them away. Mm-hmm. You don't need it right now until you learn that self-discipline. 
And if you learn that self-discipline of paying it out and going through every single time that paycheck hits, I'm sliding into my bill pay and I see chick, 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 all going out, we're seeing it and it's organized. Now, then you can get back to, once you have that organization, then you get back to charging on a card, but you're still putting into your bill pay and paying your credit card from there because I put my electric bill, I put my you know, water bill on my credit card, I put my whatever might be, my gas, my groceries, the necessities of life, that all funnels through your bill pay still because you're living on a budget and sticking to that side so you can still funnel it through your bill pay to pay your credit card versus seven go out, now two go out. I like that. Now, um, as you guys were talking about, you know, having to actually pay each of these bills. Now, I like that concept, but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, when would I have the time? Because a lot of time, the first will come, and I'm before I blink, the second is already here, and before I know it, the third is already gone. And so, the concept of having it's like, hey, just, just. So you you're know, an auto bill pay. I'm, yeah. I'm an auto bill. Yeah, pay. I can't <laughs> imaginary hand in the pot, right? Thank you. It's I'm, not that. No. Yeah. So. The, the imaginary hand in the pot are the bad bankers, okay? So what, what you may or may not have read in all of the stuff, and I say this because most banks don't do the credit card specific. The bigger banks do, the little banks don't. But if you read through all of the fine print... You missed that payment one time. Yeah, and you realize that they are allowed to take that money out of your account when they're ready. It's called right of set off, and it's a matter of I can take that money out of the account. And same thing with your phone bill. Your phone bill can do the same thing. I actually learned this, and this is one of the reasons I went cold turkey with, I don't remember who, which, which carrier it was Put in the past. Put them out there. <laughs> but it was, I really don't remember which one it was in the past. It might have been T-Mobile, but I can't say that for sure. But it ended up being a bunch of charges in a month that I was unaware of. And it got yanked out. And it was like $100 more than what I was normally paying. Mm -hmm. And completely threw me off and going, wait a minute, wait a minute. And it was because it didn't show up until the statement and the statement cycle. And I took my eyes off of it and they had every right to do that, even though it wasn't over my minimum payment. Hey, my minimum payment, my payment, my payment, my payment was going. Bunch of fees tacked on that I was unaware of, whatever it was, and $100 went out. Mm. Well, that's not me telling my money where it's going. Um, you have to have your system for you. You got to have your organization for you. I, I have a spreadsheet. My wife and I both have access to Google Sheets. We both see we have a color coding system of when it is. If she pays it, she moves it over into the right column. I move it over the right column. We know it's been paid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, taking care of it that way where it's just that same system in the house of what works. You know, I think that's really the important thing yeah. too, right? And it, it, you have to do what's best for you, right? And, and, you know, for me, what I do is I pay all of my, what I call my ancillary bills, like the one, excuse me, all of my main bills, like what I know is going to come up, my, my water bill, cell phone bill, insurance, things like that. I pay all that for the year, right? I look at it at the, in December. I know exactly what, you know, where it should be. And I get out the way because working in sales, it's, you know, it's up and down. You sure. really don't know, you know, what you're going to get. You have an idea, yeah. but I don't want to be held captive to, you know, I had a bad month, sure. right? Mm -hmm. And then now I'm trying to play catch up or I'm dipping into my savings account or, or what have you. Um, so that's one of the things that I do. But I think it really boils down to spending a day or or two or three, putting everything together on an Excel sheet or Google sheet, right, and looking to see what you have. Because ultimately what we're, in the, what we're talking about and what we're moving into is the value of budgeting, right? And a lot of people think that it's the amount of money that you're making, but it's the amount of money that you're keeping. It's really the, the secret sauce, right? And to, and to go back to that, what a lot of people struggle with is paying themselves. Paying that savings account 
to save up for the rainy day or for the family vacation or to give a good Christmas, whatever that thing is. A lot of people at the end of the month, they want they plan on putting whatever's left into savings. Mm-hmm. Well, if your direct deposit goes into savings, it's already there. It's already there. So you start it there, and now you're telling your money where you go into the checking accounts. You got a lot better shot of having something in there at the end of the month. Leaving something in there, wow. not only an emergency fund, you know, again, if you do Dave Ramsey's 1000 bucks or whatever that may be, but here's your cushion of I don't ever want to get below this amount either. Yeah. That's your red flag, but it goes into your bill pay, it pays out. The other account is really what you're doing for your debit card. Yeah. So if somebody steals your debit card or when you lose your debit card, if you're like me, <laughs> they have access to your account that's got 120 bucks in it. Yep. The worst they can do is take that out. You're still covered by the bank. You're still going to get it back. You do your fraud claim, but they're not going to take out your big bulk checking account of where your direct deposit's going in because it's not going in. You're putting your fund money there. It also helps restrict you and shut off your overdraft you know, don't turn your overdraft on. Don't, you know, banks make money off of that too. And again, that's how banks make money is overdraft fees and that kind of stuff. It's all yeah. kind of factored into what's going to happen. But shut your overdraft off. If you don't have it, you swipe it, it gets declined. I don't get that today. So visionaries, if you're tuning in, um, make sure that you're paying yourself first. That's that's the big message. And then put everything into your savings account and let it flow from there. And stop auto pay. <laughs> I, want to, I want to change. I want, I want to change gears. So obviously, people think about banks and about lending, right? At a certain point, somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I want a loan of whatever type, right?" You have to essentially assess, you know, their you know asset liabilities, a risk profile, if you will. Can sure. you talk about that process from your standpoint? So, consumer standpoint, commercial standpoint are a little bit different. So, consumer standpoint, which is the bulk of us. You know, we're walking in and a lot of times you're hitting fair lending. It just comes into credit score, income, debt ratio, and that's primarily your big three. So if that's coming in and I have somebody sitting in front of me and we're looking at a car loan or we're looking at a personal loan or whatever it might be, you know, we're looking at what's that minimum payment, what's the minimum payments they have obligation, and then what can they prove up of income. Credit score is big. You know, a lot of people are like, I don't worry about it. Even Dave Ramsey says, don't worry about it um, because he lives in a cash world. Um, at the same time, I'm big or just protect it. If you ever have to use it, that's fantastic. Right. You know, live in a cash world, but, if you have to protect, you know, but still protect it. So when you do need it, it's there. Um, but when it comes in, so the consumer side is really those three things. We just, it, it's a very simple cut and dry. It's how much income do we come in? What's your, what's going out on your credit on minimum payments? And it's got to be a certain percentage depending on the product. You know, a house is 42, 43%. So if you're 44%, you don't qualify for a mortgage. You gotta pay off a credit card before you can get that mortgage and qualify for it. Um, credit score, this is an eye opener for everybody. So your credit score can be off 100 points. You get a 720, which is kind of your A, a credit, down to a 620, which is your BC credit. That could be in a 30 year mortgage, $16,000 different because of an interest rate that you qualify for upfront. Is that per year or, or amortized? That, that would be overall. Okay. Now, again, you're talking about you get down into the next thing below 620, into that next tier, hey, we'll, we'll get you there, we'll get up to there. You know, you can talk tens of thousands of dollars on a mortgage. I'm talking very moderate mortgage, too. Yeah. You get into bigger mortgages, you're talking that interest rate can affect you tens of thousands of dollars for living in the same building. Mm-hmm. You know, but you keep that credit score up, maintain that credit score when you apply for that house, you're going to get the best interest rate at that time and be able to knock it out. Since you're talking about credit, and this may be peripheral to your job description, but I'm sure you know, being in the industry, 
What are some things that people can do to repair their credit? Sure. Um, first thing is if you screwed up your credit, it is your fault. <laughs> so a lot Take of people come and go, how do I fix this? I'm like, well, what did you do to it? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Or one thing happened or this thing. If you actually did, if there wasn't fraud that screwed up your credit, that kind of thing, it, it was your fault. Or, so, or coronavirus in the pandemic. Everything's coronavirus' fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2021. It's yeah. coronavirus' fault. Coronavirus. I got lost coming here because it's COVID. coronavirus. Um, <laughs> yeah, got COVID. The navigation system. Right. right. It was all in there. Um, car wasn't wearing a mask. Um, <laughs> it was coughing. <laughs> so with that, you're looking at what's on your credit. You can go to these credit places that say, I'm going to cure your credit, you know, repair your credit. Repair. They don't repair your credit when it's your fault. They can put in disputes and disputes and disputes, and it doesn't just go away when it's actually something you did. Um, there are some people in the industry that repair credit very well, um, and they're actually going to tell you. They're going to sit down and go, I can fix this, this. All of this is your fault, and it's just going to take some time. <laughs> so repairing credit takes time. Right. Um, first thing, as I said, 35-plus percent of your credit score is just making on-time payments. And if you budget, which we're getting back to, mm -hmm. if you go back to budgeting, just make your on-time payments, your minimum payments. If you get into a tough spot, your sales are down in a given month, pay the minimum payment at minimum. If you can't, it's great to have a banker. You call your banker up around tough times, this kind of stuff happens. A lot of banks have deferral processes, they have deferral programs, they can bump, your, they can bump a single payment. Most people don't know this. Mm -hmm. And some banks won't, and some banks will, and it depends on a lot of other factors. It's not just a cut and dry, but banks can do that. And by having a relationship with your banker, it's, hey, rain on tough times. If you're coming back with tough times every other week, <laughs> that comes back to your fault. But there's part of that coming into it of being able to, being able to what you control, what you can't control. We as bankers know you can't control everything. So let's talk about what we can do to help you in those tough times. Um, Specifically with credit, besides just looking at budgeting and making your payments, um, looking back and seeing student loans can really hurt you. And once, once they get into that ever-earning cycle, mm. it's like, well, it doesn't hurt me anymore. Well, it kind of does. Um, now, part of that, and if you have somebody who's good at credit, part of that comes into how far back. I'll give you an example. I worked with a credit repair guy in DFW. Um, this is his example that I'm using, but um, he had a gentleman who was like, I got to repair credit. I got to get up to a certain thing so I can get this investment loan that I want to get it that I want to get into. So he had to knew he had to get to a specific credit score. He's like, I knew this parking ticket's been on my credit for three years. I didn't do a parking ticket. It's been on there for three years. I know I need to pay it. It was like seventy five bucks, mm. you know. And he and uh, my contact told him, he's like. Well, technically, it's been past two and a half years. It doesn't affect you. And the way that his algorithm worked with that, it won't affect. Should he still pay it? Yes, it's his parking ticket. He should still owe it. He should still pay it. But for the short term, let's put your sentiment bucks towards something else mm -hmm. because we can go back and take care of that later. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it, it, there are times when it falls off, and that's where, again, you get somebody who's good at the credit repair component, and they can tell you what's going to affect you immediately and how quickly it's going to affect you. Um, People tell you to open trade lines, open trade lines, open trade lines, open trade lines. If you're defaulting on other things, don't open trade lines. Right. <laughs> it's the last thing you need to be doing. Right. right. Get current first. Get your budget down. You know, don't open the trade lines. Um, second big factor from a banker perspective is limits versus balances. So if you have a $1,000 credit card, okay, we have a $1,000 limit credit card, okay, 
and you have a $5,000 credit card. Mm -hmm. This person carries a $900 balance and you carry $900 balance. It's great for you. Right. It's bad, bad, bad for me. Because mm -hmm. yep. I'm 90% capped off at my limits. Mm -hmm. And you're, what, 20% capped off at your limits. Because you got to keep it below 30. You want to keep it below 30 to 40. Yep. You know, you can kind of flirt in that area. You know, the goal would be pay it off every month and take advantage of credit card points so you can earn it back. Um, that's where once you have the discipline, use your credit card, pay it off, use your credit card, pay it off, and then take your family on a vacation off of the points. Love it. So, got this question. Um, how does bank make their money? And it's a two-part you know, two question, right? How does a bank make their money? And also, how does inflation affect us, you know, when it comes down to... You know, some people doubt, don't trust bankers, right? They don't trust the bank. They would rather keep their money in a shoebox under a mattress somewhere, right? So how does the inflation affect that concept of saving? And I mentioned earlier, how does a bank make their money? Okay. Going back to, you know, bank making money, mm -hmm. it, it really is a diversity of everything. I, mean, I can go into holding assets and loans and what it, what it comes down to, but it really comes down to... Banks are borrowing money the same way consumers are borrowing money. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have enough deposits in our bank, we need to borrow it from somebody else. And we're borrowing at a 1.2% spread. And so in order to do that, we now have to pay it out at a less percent to go there. But that's going to also fund our loans. Mm -hmm. But we need enough cash in order to be a healthy bank by keeping enough reserves because we also know some loans are going to go bad. And so it's kind of... It, and it's it is above my pay. This is way above my pay grade, um, but in, but conceptually, it it's it's a dance within a bank products within a bank portfolio where banks can then also pick and choose of what they're good at. Okay, so credit union, credit unions are usually the best at car loans. Why? Number one, they specialize in it. It's that same thing of if you're. In the industry, we talk appetite, bank appetite. Mm -hmm. What does a bank appetite have? My bank might love to do one to four family commercial or one to four family real estate investment properties. We're great at construction. We do construction really, really well, and we're good at that component. And we like it because we know it really, really well. Mm -hmm. We got our title companies. We know builders. We know all of that aspect. We know the land. We know the liens. It, it, we're good at that because it's a history of what we do. Gotcha. Okay. Same thing with credit unions. You know, I got a buddy who went over to a credit union and he's like, they didn't even really ask for deposits. They just asked for their car loan. And sometimes they'd get a car loan and they wouldn't even ask for deposits. He goes, and it blew my mind coming from a bank where we're trying to cross sale into everything. <laughs> and it was, that's what they specialized in and they just perfected their system. They look and go, hey, we know the repo process. If we have to go pick it up, we can. We know the market to who's gonna who, who we're gonna resell it to if we need to. Wow. Hopefully, we don't need to do that, and people right. just pay their notes because that's really what banks want. Banks just want to get paid. It's called paid as agreed. Mm. We lend you the it's money. A novel concept. It's, <laughs> and that's really what banks want. Banks yeah. don't want your stuff, and you know people get so worried about that because. They're like, they just want to take my car. They just, no, they just want you to make your payment yeah, for the next 60 months. Because yeah. <laughs> it actually costs the bank more to go and take it from you than if you would just make your payments. Because they're going to take a hit on it. We take a hit on it from a, who are we going to sell to? We're not a car lot. We got holding costs. We, we, yeah. So we got to put it somewhere. I, I had to go collect a 
and I say I, my, my special assets unit had to go collect on one of my clients. Um, I basically showed up and she basically lied the whole time and saying her store was doing fine and I show up and her inventory's gone, everything is gone. <laughs> and she had like one machine in there and a bunch of framing stuff and that was it. And so it was unfinished product that's, you know, pennies on the dollar for what it's worth. Mm. We ended up having to put it, the machine, which we had to get a crane to haul it out. So we had to rent that for a few hundred dollars. Then we had to put it into a storage unit big enough. Then we had to put, I mean, these were 12 foot long wood. So we had to put a, a it was a big storage unit for a stack of wood. I mean, it was costing us 150 bucks a month just to store the stuff until we found somebody to buy it. Hmm. You know, when these things aren't even worth more than a couple grand. Yeah. I mean, so we're upside down before it even, before really Mary got started. And now you've got to drop your rates affecting your loans. That, that are supposed to be producing for you. And, it, and I can see how that cycle yeah. starts to, to, to play out. You got it. And so it's, and, and that's where all of those things are affected and intertwined. You know, you have that person walk in, they're saying, I'm worried about this. But when it comes down to your credit, your credit really does depict past, does predict future. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we look at our, you know, history, my wife says it all the time, we need as a country, as a world, need to always look back so we don't make the same mistakes going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, we as a family, me as a husband and a wife, you know, we... Well, if you I, as a wife, that's pretty interesting. That's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my wife. Thank you, thank you. So, you know, me and my wife, we look back in our relationship and go, what caused fights? What do we need to fix going forward? L- looking back is just going to help you do that. So credit scores really are that depiction. You know, if somebody has a really bad credit score, they're probably not going to pay their bills. You know, now again, we have that time where, hey, let's focus on that. How are you going to get out of that? Let us help you get out of that and change those habits. Um, but that being said, going back to inflation com- component to it, um, you know, how does it how does it help you with inflation, putting it in the mattress or in the shoebox? You know, is a 0.00001% money market going to really help with inflation? Not really. You know, it's better than zero. It's better than zero. Right. It's definitely going to help better than, you know, than again, just putting it in the house, you know, but what happens if the house burns down? God forbid, you know, then all of a sudden you're not protected by FDIC insurance on the fire. You're protected under insurance, your home gets covered and that's it. But you're looking at that and saying, you know, it's safer in the bank. You have FDIC insurance. A bank's not out to get you. I'm from insider information we're not out to get you you know it's really trying to take care of the individuals when they're coming in putting them in the best components to it and going from there well you say that but there's wells fargo in 2020 right (laughs) (laughs) hey just sign right here it's okay (laughs) now i've heard that um i've heard the it's called a banker's rule the rule of 72 right and from my understanding of it says that whatever you put in in the bank the interest rate that you're getting on your money, divide that number into 72, it'll tell you how many years it'll take your money to double, right? So now here's the question. Um, how much interest rate does the bank have? Well, let's say I take $10,000 and I'm like, hey, Matt, how much, you know, um, it's, you know, it's sitting with you and I'm getting like 2 or 3% interest rate on it, right? Now, how much would the bank be making on that 10000 if it was, you know, sitting there. Now, is it sitting there or is it being invested out somewhere or being loaned somewhere it's being else? Invested. At a high, you know, at a higher interest rate. So so two components. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about, you know, you're talking about floating rates, fixed rates, and everything else in between. So there's times when banks are actually losing money on deposits because we run specials. Every bank does this. We run a special and we say we're gonna give this percent on these CDs or this percent on this money market. Mm-hmm. And then 
the, the interest rates go the opposite direction that in the bank's favor, it might help the next person who gets a CD, but it's going to hurt the bank. Or it goes in the opposite direction and the Fed changes the lending rates. And then all of a sudden we're now looking at that loan going, we're literally losing money on that loan every single month. We'd, rather, we'd literally rather them pay off and go to another bank today. <laughs> like, you know, so, so we can re-lend that $100,000 to somebody else at a different rate. interest rate. Right. You know? And so it's one of those things that's, again... We just want to be paid as agreed. So going back to it, it's very simple. Just you know, you make the minimum payment with the agreed upon term, a, a bank's happy, you know. But the reality is that that's the ebbs and flows of business banking. Is it, it, it isn't these, even credit cards. You know, again, most most smaller banks don't do, you know, credit cards like a City or Capital One that kind of thing. But, you know, a six percent loan. I go back to it. A six percent loan. Banks making one to two percent after they're looking at all the costs and everything underneath. It's not this massive, massive, you know, component to it. It's definitely a small sliver of it, which keeps the business going, which helps us, you know, be able to provide the services for everything else. So let's transition, right? So the visionaries have listened, they've heard you, they've taken your advice, they've budgeted, they've cleaned up everything. They now have a commercial, uh, excuse me, they now have a uh, community banker or a small banker, right? Um, I want to grow my money, right? Um, how do we go about, how, how can you help as a banker, as a commercial lender, how do you help people grow their money on the investment side of things? Multiple directions. Um, one, if it comes into true investment strategies, I have my Rolodex. And I pass it off to my partners who can help you with safer investing. Depending on your age bracket is going to be a big thing. Um, you know, where you want to invest it. You know, as you're getting in that older, it's safer money. If you're getting in younger, it can be a little bit more risky. Um, are you putting enough into employer if there's a 401k match, because obviously that's very important um, if you have it. But when it comes down to it, the, the, biggest, the biggest investment you can make is in yourself and in your own income and, make, and, and telling it where it's going. Um, investing into your own house and building up equity, it will serve you well for a long time to come um, for two, two ways. One, you have the flexibility because my money is in my house and you have that safety and security that if I ever need to sell, things get really tough, I have enough equity to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. um, on another strategy, a lot of people talk about a cash reserve component mm -hmm. where I'm going to keep cash over here for an emergency fund. All right. And as I very much agree with that philosophy, th th it, there's limits. And a lot of people are like, all right, once I get the 1000 they want 2000 then they want 3000 But there's times when they're like, I just, they just want it to keep going, 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 going. Um, and so an example is a client came in, they, they basically had a cash reserve account that they didn't want to ever touch unless there's an emergency and it was $50,000. So heck of an emergency, heck of an emergency fund, right. you know, it's going, Hey, I, I get it. They were a little, again, a little bit older, you know, but at the same time, it was one of the, going, that's plenty for an emergency. But then I asked him a question. I was like, well, what's your, you know, how long have you been in your home? Well, we've been there for 20 years. You know, what's your balance? You know, it's like under a hundred thousand dollar balance and their home was worth three hundred thousand plus. Mm. So they had two hundred thousand dollars of equity in their house. Looking real good on paper. Looking real good on paper. Net worth's there, they got fifty grand in the bank, but their house equity wasn't doing anything for them. Their fifty thousand they didn't want to touch. So again, it's making point zero 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 one percent. It's nice and safe. Right. You know, it's not gonna go anywhere, it's not gonna get smaller, that's for sure. It's gonna grow very small. But a home equity line of credit was a great opportunity for them to Pay off any debt, which they didn't have any, um, but pay off any debt, use it for anything emergency. But they could put a $100,000 home equity on their house. Zero cost, zero application, zero closing costs, zero appraisal. The bank pays everything. They put a second lien on the house. 
if they never touched it, they don't owe a penny on it. And still send them another hundred thousand dollars. Extra hundred thousand in cash liquidity to do what they to do what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. Worry about their emergency fund, and then that fifty thousand, we can now be smart with it. And we don't have to be crazy with it. We can be right. smart with it. Mm-hmm. So you take that 50000 and you go put it into a small investment property. You go put it into a safe investment. If it's outside of real estate side of things, you put it into a safe investment. You know, It's still going to be making you a heck of a lot more than a rainy day fund sitting in a money market, checking account, that kind of thing. So I have seen home equities take out their first loan and just a home equity line and they reinvest. I've seen people do a home equity second and they flip properties with it. Um, some don't like that because it's mixing your personal equity with your business. And so that's a little bit and great, not that it's a bad way of doing things, but you are putting a second lien against your house. So there is risk. You do have to take that in consideration. Um, there is risk. If a second I pull that money out of that hundred thousand dollar line, I still now have to make the payments to pay it back. And so if you're too risky with it, you could lose your house and that's the reality. And that's the conversations you have to have with people. Um, but I've seen it time and time again where they're flipping property, flipping property, flipping property. And I'm not talking like what you see on TV. They're making $150,000 on a flip. Like that, that really is TV. Does it happen once in a while? Sure. You know, I know everybody knows the person who that's happened to once, but you're usually talking 10, 15, 20,000 is a decent investment on flipping a property. You know, especially if you're a rookie at it, be very, very happy with 10 to 15. Um, you'll get better and better and better and you get better spreads and you'll find better properties. Um, but as you're doing that, you're paying yourself back. Not only are you paying your home equity back, you're paying it right back down when you sell that property, you're taking that money and you're using it to reinvest. So you're taking that $10,000 profit you made. Now I combine it with this 50,000 I went and did and I rinse and repeat and do it all over again because now I have 60. And eventually you get up to where you're just cash flowing your own. Yeah. You don't have to borrow money. Yeah. And that's a banker and a lender telling you don't borrow money if you don't have to. <laughs> who governs the bank because people are always like you said people all have this thing about the bank's trying to get this the bank's trying to take this from me who, who who checks the checker if you will so FDIC does govern the bank with rules regulations you know so you're talking about federal regulations rolled down to anybody's FDIC credit unions don't necessarily fall under the same regulations so credit unions owned by the individual people and I am not the expert on this I'm kind of leaving it there but they each bank and everything has a little bit different goal. So we are a private bank. We are not a publicly traded bank. So we are owned out of Durant, Oklahoma. Um, we have 86 locations across the two states. Um, we are a $10 billion bank. So we're not a small bank, but we're definitely a community bank. Um, but even though FDIC rules the government, making sure people are doing the right things and dotting, you know, crossing T's, dotting I's, which I think is all about fair lending and what should happen. Um, that's when it gets real shady if it's not regulated. But we also have our CEO and the family who owns 85% of the bank who gets to figure out what's the appetite, what's our specialty, what are we going to do. Mm-hmm. So, And that's the difference between the community banks, your credit unions, your big banks. Um, I literally had a, a client call me up. I mean, he's doing $3 million a year. Um, so not a small, small company, not a massive company, but not a small, small company. And he's like, I, I want to, I'm not even going to the big banks, they won't even look at me, right. you know? I mean, because they're not even looking at him like that. I had another guy who's, he did 25 million last year, and he's like, I'd rather go with you than these big banks with helping me grow my business, because he's only a couple years in doing amazing, but he's like, they're not even looking. Let's talk about what we can do from a community bank aspect of it, and again, where does he fit in 
the bucket and what we're looking for at that time. I want to go back to the investment side of things, and I think that you know if you if you have the ability to to get rid of your biggest debt, in most cases it's probably going to be your mortgage. Mm -hmm. You and I have talked offline about velocity banking, and you kind of touched on that a little bit as it relates to using a, a home equity line of credit or a HELOC. Um, break it down for the novice that's out there on, on the practicality of how you can actually pay your home off significantly faster through this vehicle or through that product. So debt snowball, when you're talking about where you're sending your money is going to be important. Um, you know, the home equity side of things is going to be a kind of a two-tone. So you're looking at a home equity can take out your first, but then you're on flexible and variable payments. Um, I'd say, let me back up. I think this really comes down to the individual. And this is where, as I love Dave Ramsey, I don't think one size fits all. Sure. You know, so you got to kind of talk, you kind of got to talk in the generals, but at the same time, bringing it down to it's got to right, work for the right person. Right. Um, when you're talking about debt snowball, talking about making sure that you're using the avenues in place to build your net worth, you can look at paying down your mortgage as quick as possible. The faster you pay down your mortgage, the higher your net worth is, the lower your, the lower your debt to income ratio is going to be. The more liquid you are. more liquid you are, more options you have. So... You have a number of options. If you're already in a 30-year fixed, mm -hmm. you know, you're saying, hey, I did this five years ago. First of all, look at your rates because rates are amazing right now right. Um, in the mortgage world. I mean, you're talking, if you can all of a sudden say, hey, I've been five years in, so i got 25 years left. <coughs> Excuse me. 25 years left, but I'm on a 4.25 interest rate right now. Mm. There's some interest rates out there right now in the twos. So if you're not going anywhere, if you have no intentions of leaving that house in the next three to five years, that's the key. Yeah. As long as you're not going anywhere, if you're gonna, if you're leaving in a year, it's probably not worth your closing costs. Mm -hmm. Out of twenty grand. Okay. <laughs> not worth your closing costs. But if you're gonna be there three to five years or longer, a, a straight refinance. Don't do a cash out refinance for this method. Okay. A straight refinance is gonna be your best method, and here's why. If you do a cash out refinance by the state of Texas, you can only do a cash out or a home equity every 12 months, okay? So if I do a cash out and take even five grand out right now because I need to pay off a credit card, mm -hmm. I can't do another cash out and can't do a home equity second for 12 months from now, which rate, who knows what rates are going to be at that point. Should okay. stay low, but who knows, okay? If you do a straight refinance, number one, look at your rate, look at your payment of what you can do. If you can take that 25 years and knock it down to a 15-year, do it. Save the time of interest. Do it. I mean, you're saving tens of thousands of dollars in that last in that last 15 years. Yeah. So you're, it, it's going to be a bigger payment. So make sure you have that conversation. Make sure you know where your money's going. Make sure you have that discipline to know it. But you cut it down to a 15-year. Your 15-year rates are better than your 30-year rates. Your 20-year rates are better than your 30-year rates. Even if you can take it down to 20 years with a payment, you're still taking off five years of interest payments and literally going to save you 10 grand or more in that timeline. Once you do a, once you do your straight refinance, if you're going to be there longer than three to five years, and if you have a bad rate currently, it's going to help. Then you do a home equity second. Your home equity second is after you close on your refinance, you can put a home equity second and then use that 
for your investment strategies. Use that for the rainy day fund and invest your extra. Mm. If you don't have an immediate investment extra, your 15, your 15 year, make a big payment every month, every other month, every six months. When you get a bonus and you're, if you're in sales, yeah. I get a bonus. So then in there. Pay yourself first. Paying down your paying down your principal can really, really help. That's so. another simple way too, is if you take your, your payment Divide that by 12 and just add that amount, one twelfth every month, you would have made 13 payments in that year. Mm. And over 30 years, you would have reduced it by six and a half to seven and a half years, roughly. So that's an easy way to do it, too. If, you don't, if you're not in a, in, a, in a job or, you know, have that income where it fluctuates and, you know, simple way of just paying, you know, one twelfth of the overall principal payment. And make sure that when you pay, your, when you pay the, the mortgage that you're paying the principal. Don't pay the interest because the interest is based off of the principal balance that's remaining on the on the home. So go in to see your banker and tell them <laughs> it's a principal that. payment because that is very, very vital. Real quickly, um, I want to give you the opportunity, Matthew, yes. to um, you know, tell people where, where you work. How, how can they get a hold of you? If they say, hey, man, I really like this guy's vibe. I like his energy. I want to go do business with Matthew. Sure. Um, commercial lender, as they mentioned, um, with First United Bank. Uh, my office and live in McKinney. Um, I do business all over the Metroplex. Um, I can go pretty much anywhere, Oklahoma, Texas, within 100 miles of any of our locations. So if the property is there or the individual is anywhere in there, um, I can definitely do business. Um, primarily business of what I do um, is all lending except for a personal mortgage. I don't do VA, don't do standard mortgage. I have my guy who does that with First United Mortgage. Um, <laughs> But pretty much between him and I, we can take care of any lending need. Um, I don't focus on consumer, but I can do consumer. I um, can take care of you know anything from a $500 CD secured loan, you know, but I can also do a $50 million multifamily project as well um, and everything in between. Um, one of my passions um, is education. Um, I love to teach. I love to help people. Um, one of the biggest things that I run into a lot in my position is helping people move from the consumer world into the real estate investment world mm-hmm. um, and walking through those steps to get there because it's a different animal. Um, buying your personal residence, buying your first one to four family investment property, um, it's a very, very different process. Um, it can be a very, very different process. Um, ain't that's, it though. Say again? <laughs> say ain't it though. It, it <laughs> definitely is. Um, but there's always multiple opportunities for every person of what's the best avenue for them as well. Uh, do we do it in a personal name? Do we do it in LLC? You know, there, there's ways there too, and I can help with that as well. So let's jump into that, and I don't want you to give all the secrets out, right? Mm-hmm. But we're here at the table. Let's say the three of us want to get together, either individually or collectively, and we want to start a, an investment group or a business or what sure. have you. What, what advice are you giving us or to all of our visionaries you know, across the globe that, uh, that are tuning in? What advice are you giving us? I, I love when multiple people come together that are equally yoked. I know the Bible talks about being equally yoked. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing in business as well. Um, that should happen. You should have the same understanding, the same goals. Um, and I say that because you have, in, in the one to four family world, you kind of have two different philosophies. I want to, to put minimum down, max my loan, and then I can, you know, have enough cash flow to go into the next one. You have the long-term strategy of I'm going to put significant amount down. I want to put it into a 15-year fixed if I have a rental property, 
and I want to pay that off as quick as I can so it's debt free in 15 years or less. Cash flow. Yeah. So the cash flow component to it. Mm-hmm. So others want to put minimum down and yeah, you're making $200 on your rent. And then all of a sudden the water heater goes out and there goes all your profits. Mm-hmm. So to each his own. I know both. there's a lot of people out there that are successful doing both ways. Um, but when you find your business partners, make sure you guys are on the same page. Um, so I definitely have that conversation with people. Flipping properties is a completely different you know, t- conversation than obviously buys and holds. Um, but I think it's great, especially for new people coming together because it's a matter of your one, decreasing your risk, mm-hmm. you know, so you're looking at everybody's working together for a common good. Um, second component is everybody can take a load, you know, everybody's going to have different expertise, whether it's just giving your time, whether it's giving another area of expertise, whether it's doing the company's taxes, yeah. you know, whatever it might be, yeah. you know, you're taking care of the group and, you know, together to do it. Um, I definitely think it should be a learning process together. Everybody should be learning it together in case they got to pick up for another person doing it um, because you never know what's happening in their life and when you need to help out. Um, But I think it's, you know, going through it step by step. It's making sure everybody's learning it, making sure everybody's on the same page, and then finding that that next step property of what you're looking for. You know, is it a one-to-four family? You know, is it a single door? Is it a duplex? You know, a lot of people... You know, again, I made the joke, but they watch TV and they're like, oh, I'm going to flip a house for $100,000. That, that is. <laughs> why, would, why didn't everybody think of that? Right, right. 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 It's just so easy because right. they showed you on and, you know. Flip this house. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful stations. HGTV. So, but when you're looking at that, you know, your own risk and reward is there. You learn as you flow. The first couple, you're not going to make a lot of money normally. Everybody gets lucky. Everybody gets out there. And there's people who are going to be like, that guy's crazy. Um, but for the most part, you just see it's a small gain. It's a small gain. It's a small gain. And once you perfect your system, once you know it, once you have your realtor connection who is feeding you houses, once you have your builder connection who's building at cost and giving you a great deal, mm-hmm. those are the types of things that take time in the industry. You'll build your Rolodex. You'll build the those connections. Um, and then getting into it. <coughs> Excuse me. The structure is very different from a commercial, and so that's probably where I'll, I'll talk about that real quick and pause. And um, Structure-wise, in the commercial world, when you're doing it with a business, an LLC, I don't know anybody out there that does a 30-year fixed for a business. You usually do a balloon note. Mm-hmm. You know, So you're looking at, if you want low rates, you do a three-year fixed. If you want a little bit higher rates, you do a five-year fixed. And these are, I'm talking rental properties. Okay, If you're doing a flip... You can usually do an interest only because you're going to do some kind of improvements to it, construction flips, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or construction, there's an interest only period. Keep your payments low to maximize your returns. Um, but for those buying rental houses, if you're doing it in a business name, you're usually putting it on a five-year balloon, so you have to be prepared for that. And it's a little bit higher interest rates. You're not getting mortgage rates out there for business loan investment properties. I think that's it, Chief. That's good. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, Matt. This has been outstanding. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got one more question for you. Um, what's one advice, one piece of advice that you would give a customer or consumer out there that they can implement, you know, instantly to, to help get them in the place or where they need to go? I'll speak what's on my heart and what's on my head. I am so blessed to be part of a bank that puts God first, family second, jobs third. Getting your head straight, having your having your faith focused, knowing that God's first, family is second. You know, the investment strategies are fun. 
work is fun, that's what pays the bills, but you can't do those things without the first two. Mm-hmm. Focus on your first focus on your relationship, focus on your family, be a good dad. Then you focus on the investment stuff because the healthy first two steps brings a healthy third step. Love it. Good. Love it. Okay. Folks, thanks again for tuning in for for another episode behind the dollar with the Vision Lab podcast. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsor James O'Quilla. Appreciate um, it. Glad to have you here in the lab again, man. Always, it's always fun. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my name is Ryan Mosley. He is Ryan Cuffey. Uh, thanks again to our guest Matthew Heinrich, the uh, VP of Commercial Lending at First United Bank in McKinney. Thanks again to our sponsor James Aquila. Uh, we will see you guys next month on another great episode of Behind the Dollar with the Vision Lab podcast. Thank you. Blessings.